0: to listen you can hear their
1: hearts beating loud can't keep those california indians down good day everyone you're listening to american indian airwaves cowdy radio From marcus lopez i'm your host for the hour larry smith On today's program, Memorial, Remembrance, and Resistance, the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 and the Wounded Knee Occupation of 1973. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Cowdy Radio. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone food. Bacani blows to the Bahu drum, it's the warriors who are marching mm-hmm, down the mountain, mm-hmm, because history ain't no mystery to me. December 29th of every year marks the anniversary date of the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 whereby the United States' 7th Cavalry stopped Lakota ghost dancers and community members heading home to Pine Ridge, now located in the state of South Dakota. Members of the Lakota Nation were at Wounded Knee when the 7th Cavalry stopped them from traveling any farther. A scuffle shortly ensued, and then the United States' 7th Cavalry opened fire on the Lakota community members, thus murdering over 300 indigenous men, women, and children. The Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 is frequently and inaccurately referred to as the last conflict between the American invaders, settler colonialists, and indigenous peoples and their respective First Nations. Throughout the decades since the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre and with little change of Lakota citizens' living conditions and quality of life at Wounded Knee and nearby indigenous communities, members of the Lakota Nation continued struggling against the United States government's oppressive measures of intergenerational tyranny, policies of genocide, extermination, and assimilation, and the perpetual violation of the signed and ratified Treaty of Fort Laramie of 1868 until 1973. From February 27, 1973 to May 8, 1973, over 200 members of the American Indian Movement and their supporters occupied Wounded Knee in a 71-day standoff which generated domestic and international attention from the media, human and civil rights organizations, and individual supporters throughout the world. The 71-day occupation of Wounded Knee eventually resulted in a negotiated settlement between indigenous activists and the United States government. Members of the American Indian Movement had come to the assistance of traditional Lakota elders and community members who were being systematically and violently threatened and terrorized by the US government sponsored Lakota chairman Richard Dickey Wilson and and his administration's police state known as the Guardians of the Oglala Nation or goons. Along with the U.S. government's assistance, Richard Dickey Wilson and his administration was rife with corruption, nepotism, and violence, and this time period is often referred to as the Reign of Terror. Today's show on American Indian Airwaves is comprised of sound from the Pacifica Radio Archives and the documentary, A Tattoo on My Heart. The Warriors of Wounded Knee 1973 and Pacifica KPFA in Berkeley, California covered the 1973 Wounded Knee Occupation, and the documentary includes personal testimony and reflections from indigenous activists who participated in the 1973 Wounded Knee Occupation. We'll hear from voices such as Bill Means, Larry Foster, and Madonna Thunderhawk, plus more. And now, our special feature here on American Indian Airwaves Memorial, Remembrance, and Resistance the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 and the Wounded Knee Occupation of 1973. In
2: 1972, Raymond Yellow Thunder, a member of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe, was kidnapped by two ranchers and taken to a dance at an American Legion Hall in Gordon, Nebraska where he was stripped naked. His feet were burned with cigarettes by the ranchers as they forced him to dance naked in front of the crowd. He was then taken out back and beaten and he was thrown into the trunk of a car where he froze to death. An Ogallala civil rights leader, Seifert Young Bear, on behalf of the Yellow Thunder family, contacted the American Indian Movement for help. A march was organized and several thousand outraged Indians marched on Gordon, Nebraska to protest the murders.
3: Then as Gordon, as it came about, we marched in, about
2: probably 2,000
3: people, 1,500. This whole kind of a spirit. Seemed like it came alive to where Indian people, they said, we're not gonna take this no more.
2: In early 1973, another member of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe, Wesley Badhart Bull, was killed in a small border town of Buffalo Gap, South Dakota by white assailants. In response to this second apparently racially motivated murder within months, members of the American Indian Movement protested at the nearby courthouse in Custer, South Dakota. This ended in a violent confrontation between law enforcement and AIM members that resulted in a number of arrests. Federal and state law enforcement officials mobilized for further confrontations with the American Indian movement. Meanwhile, Inside the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, unrest was also increasing as traditional Indians became increasingly frustrated at the corruption and brutal tactics of Dick Wilson, president of the Ogallala Sioux Tribe and his enforcers, the so-called goon squad. Well, there's
4: been a lot of accusations made here lately and uh, one in particular that upsets me is the fact that I am using a goon squad, so to speak. They
5: are respectable and honest citizens of Pine Ridge. Well sharpshooters, come to
2: Groomsquest, come in and go and them. They were greedy. They only looked after themselves, their families, and their friends, and to heck with all the traditional people, the Indian people that lived out in the districts. Following the Custer incident, traditional leaders asked the American Indian movement to come to Pine Ridge and help them in their struggle against Dick Wilson.
6: And we called a meeting at Calico and all the headmen and chiefs. And Dick Wilson said, if you want me out of the office, I'll step down right now. <laughs> and he did. Then he get back in again. What can we do? Uh, that was really a Gestapo type of administration. So we full bloods, our hands are tied and we cannot depend on anybody to come to our defense. So Chief full Crow and Kills enemy. come up with idea about American Indian movement.
2: Fearing trouble, U.S. Marshals and military advisors were sent into Pine Ridge to support the Wilson administration and prevent the anticipated takeover of tribal headquarters. They joined forces with Wilson's Goon Squad. On February 27, 1973, AIM and the traditional leaders chose another location for their protest the site of the 1890 Wounded Knee Massacre in the center of the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. This is the story of the Warriors of Wounded Knee, 1973. There's a
3: place where we won't be alone if we
2: go. And that place is Wounded Knee.
3: They said the spirits of our ancestors are there. If we're going to go make a stand, we should make it with them. Wounded Knee. It was it. It was the place to be. It was because if if we would have took over something, let's say, and uh, uh, over the um, lower brule took over their community center or something, they would have just got in there and got us out or something. But wounded knee, it was a symbol of what happened in 1890, and the reservation was open for it. You know. I think this, the people were open for it. Uh, that was the perfect spot because the history and the people, Pine Ridge was ripe for this. The uh, atmosphere in Pine
5: Ridge was really was really bad. It was uh, a lot of tension, a lot of uh, men walking around with fatigue and uh, assault rifles. There were. Uh, machine gun nests on top of the BIA building at each of the corners. APCs were uh, parked or sitting on the back of little boy uh, trailers.
0: By the time we got to Wounded Knee, we were in, it was the caravan. I mean, the caravan just kept getting longer and longer. And I remember when we turned north at the junction there out of Pine Ridge, Going north to Wounded Knee, we were going real slow, and I remember looking back, it was getting dark, and the car, the lines of car lights all turning, following us. But by the time we were coming down that long hill into Wounded Knee, we could hear gunfire. And then the runners were coming up, running up, saying, "Hit the ditch, and there was gunfire.
3: And what they wanted to do was to, I guess, basically just run us out of town, using whatever means necessary. They were the first ones to fire the weapons, I know, because I was up on the hill by the church and we heard the gunfire and we seen this BIA cop and he fired again, he could see the muzzle flashes.
7: On the night of February 27th, 200 members and supporters of the American Indian Movement took over the small village of Wounded Knee, South Dakota. In order to guarantee sufficient time to voice their demands, the Indians detained the proprietor of the general store, along with members of his family and six others who lived in the trading post complex. Almost immediately after having established their position in Wounded Knee, roads into the town were blocked, first by the American Indian Movement and the next day by U.S. Marshals. Initial reports during the first full day of the Wounded Knee action said that AIM was holding the 11 residents hostage. But during that first day, anyone living in Wounded Knee was free to leave, contrary to reports by the Justice Department who originally claimed that Aim kidnapped Clyde Gildersleeve and his family. Gildersleeve, owner of the trading post, assured the Justice Department that residents were in safe, wounded knee, and could leave at any time, but chose to remain. This cleared the way for members of the American Indian Movement to make their demands. Initially, those demands were for the Senate to begin an immediate investigation of conditions on the Pine Ridge Reservation, a study of the treaty violations by the United States against Native American Indian tribes, and an investigation and reorganization of the Bureau of Indian Affairs, an agency of the Interior Department. South Dakota Democratic Senators McGovern and Abaresque were asked to come to Wounded Knee to convey these demands back to the Senate. Also during the first day, buildings in Wounded Knee were being fortified, and trenches and foxholes were dug strategically around the 42-acre compound. 18 miles away in Pine Ridge, federal marshals were converting BIA Reservation Headquarters into a fortress in anticipation of an attack by other Indians on the Pine Ridge. At first, 100 100 marshals were sent to South Dakota, but by the third day, more than 300 federal agents, including the FBI, had converged on State Highway 18 and the Bigfoot Trail leading into Wounded Knee. In the afternoon of the third day, McGovern and Aberask arrived in Wounded Knee where they met with AIM leaders and the Pine Ridge Civil Rights Organization. The civil rights organization originally asked that AIM help them in their attempts to expose racial discrimination and other violations on the Pine Ridge Reservation. The two South Dakota senators said they would try to set up negotiations between Indians in wounded knee and federal officials in Washington. Following talks with McGovern and Aberask and beginning with the fourth day of the wounded knee action, a ceasefire went into effect but was short-lived when armored personnel carriers overran a bunker near what was referred to as the Demilitarized Zone. Also on the fourth day, the home of Aaron de Sursa was firebombed. De Sursa was a supporter of the American Indian Movement and published a newspaper on the reservation. He was strong in his opposition to Richard Wilson, and the Indians in Wounded Knee speculated that Wilson may have been somehow involved in the firebombing. Negotiations began on the fifth day in Wounded Knee between the Civil Rights Organization and Assistant U.S. Attorney Ralph Erickson. The meetings were held in a teepee, near the Sacred Heart Catholic Church, and were not productive. Erickson did not return for negotiations on the sixth day. Instead, he expressed the government's position, which AIM leaders said, asked for a surrender. The Indians rejected Erickson's proposal on the seventh day. That agreement provided that Indians and Wounded Knee could leave immediately and not be arrested, but would be subject to indictments by a grand jury being formed in Sioux Falls. By the eighth day, both the government and AIM leaders were rigid in their requirements for a settlement, and meetings outside Wounded Knee between AIM leaders and the Justice Department brought no results. Richard Wilson, in the meantime, proposed his own solution when he announced that he would muster a 900-man army and take Wounded Knee back. On March 7th, U.S. Attorney Erickson said the situation was nothing more than intolerable blackmail and set a deadline of 5 p.m. March 8th for people to leave Wounded Knee. Additional federal marshals were brought in and more armored personnel carriers were stationed on the hillsides over wounded knee The Indians there re-emphasized the minimum demands and stated that they were prepared to die By this time there were more than 400 people in wounded knee Dennis banks a national director with aim reaffirmed its stance in negotiations
8: This government is at our mercy We also know that this government is on its hands and knees. The ultimatum was given to them again to negotiate or massacre. They cut off the negotiations and were left with only one alternative And that was to come in and massacre. They have chosen not to massacre. (laughs) At this point. (laughs) (coughs) They admit they have no answer. They admit (coughs) for the first time that this government has been wrong. And so, in in our attempt, again, we will make the first move to defuse the situation. We made it, we made it last night, as a matter of fact, some of you don't know, we were fired upon by FBI agents. We did not return any fire and we will not return any fire again tonight (coughs) however if any of our people are killed (coughs) because of our dedication to defuse this issue we can guarantee no safety for any fbi agent that fires upon us It'll be up to this government to begin action towards correcting problems on this reservation and on other reservations. In the meantime, we remain at wounded knee.
7: Before that 5 p.m. deadline and during the 10th day, 34 women and children left the village, but many more women joined men in the trenches waiting for sunset and the federal government's ultimatum. At the last minute, a ceasefire was called, but lasted only a short time after federal agents shot and wounded two Indians. An emergency hospital had been set up earlier in the week, and the two men were brought there where AIM's spiritual advisor and medicine man, Leonard Crowdog, treated the bullet wounds. On the 11th day, attempts to revive the negotiations were unsuccessful and Erickson returned to Washington. Meanwhile, attorney William Kunstler and Carter Camp, a national director of AIM, expressed optimism that some progress had been made, but reaffirmed their position.
5: There's been some, some talk on the, on the peripheral matters, but no agreement on the substantial issues that brought us to Wounded Knee in the first place. And, that, and that's a tremendous concern to us because there can be no changing of the status quo until those issues are dealt with. We hope to have another meeting at 3 o'clock today, if the government is willing, uh, probably in Pine Ridge, and try to elaborate there the essential issues that Carter and I have both discussed, and try to put the horse in front of the cart rather than the cart in front of the horse. Because all the negotiations thus far have been essentially on what happens after the Substantial issues that Carter spoke about have been resolved. How you leave wounded knee, whether you lay your arms down or you don't, uh, whether you're transported 150 miles away or what have you, but that should come after they reach some sort of agreement on why they came here in the first place. Our position when we came here was to uh, to help the Oglala Sioux Civil Rights Committee and the Oglala Sioux people in their in their fight. And we're going to uh, keep our same posture, our same position until those uh, things are done. Now, the government so far hasn't uh, met with us with, with anyone except for people from the Justice Department. Those people are law enforcement people. You know, We don't want to meet with those. We want to meet with the Department of the Interior or the White House, those people that have the authority to deal with Indian problems and deal with Indian problems on a daily basis. Uh, we're not going to be... Put in the same position as Bigfoot and his band were in 1890 when they were massacred because they put down their arms. Uh, we're going to maintain a position of strength, and we've always said that we'll meet the government either, you know, in a fight in the trenches, or else we we'll meet meeting at the negotiating table when they can deal on the issues of the Oglala Sioux tribe. Either one, you know, hasn't been changed. We, we're still in the same position. We'll, we can meet the might of the United States with violence. Uh, We can meet them when they decide to deal with the people on the issues that brought us here in the first place, but those are the only two meetings we're gonna have.
7: A surprise move came late Saturday during the 12th day of the action when the Justice Department announced that they were removing roadblocks. Federal marshals were pulled back and sent to nearby Rapid City where they were put on standby. Shortly after the announcement, people in Wounded Knee were joined by 300 or so supporters from the reservation and a victory celebration was held near the massacre site. More than 700 people participated in the ceremony in which AIM leaders and a number of traditional tribal chiefs asked that all Indian people follow the ways of the Indian culture and abolish the white man's religion and teachings. Many of the tribal chiefs stayed on through Sunday when they held a meeting to discuss plans for wounded knee. The chiefs are selected in traditional ways, and there are altogether eight of them on the Pine Ridge Reservation six of them met in the teepee and wounded knee and issued this statement
8: let it be known this day march 11 1973. first motion stated that the oklala sioux people will use this document to revive the treaty of 1868 and there will be the basis for all negotiations second motion that the declaration be made that we are a sovereign nation by the treaty of 1868. third motion Send a delegation to the United Nations as follows. Chief Frank Foolsgrove. Chief Frank Kill's enemy. Eugene Whitehawk, district chairman. Meredith Quinn, international legal advisor. Matthew King, interpreter. David Long, vice president of the Oglala Sioux Tribe under the Indian Reorganization Act as an alternate. Seconded and voted unanimously. Fourth motion was that as soon as they get the re- petition together, they want to abolish the tribal government under the Indian Reorganization Act. Also, that wounded name will be a corporate state of the Oklahoma Sioux Nation. Seconded and voted unanimously. Five. A Sioux medicine man requested that an interpreter accompany a delegation to the United States and not United Nations. Seconded and voted unanimously and signed by Frank Foolsgrove, Frank Kill's Enemy, Eugene Whitehawk, Meredith Quinn, David Long, Matthew King. In proclaiming the independent Oglala Nation, the first nation to be called upon for support and recognition is the Six Nations Confederacy. Dignitaries of the new independent Oglala Nation request that the Confederacy of the Iroquois send emissaries to this newly proclaimed nation immediately to reverse to receive firsthand all the facts pertaining to this act. They will be duly received as dignitaries of the Confederacy of the Iroquois.
7: The Six-Nation Iroquois Confederacy is recognized by the United States as a sovereign nation and travels under its own passport and has never observed the border between the U.S. and Canada. The basis on which the independent Oglala Nation declared its sovereignty is explained by Meredith Quinn, a legal advisor.
8: First of all, my grandma said I would live to see the day when we would come into our own, and this is that day. Sovereignty is like any other country. It has the right to an army, a navy, an air force. It has the right to citizenship, health, education, welfare. It has all the rights to a functioning type of a government that pursues, possesses the strongest sovereignty treaties in this country. Second is of course the borders of New Mexico. But this little act today in establishing sovereignty such as citizenship, borderline, the mechanism of a functioning government which will take place and is being formulated. As the corporate state of wounded knee takes in the membership of other areas or what we call districts, they in turn will become states of the corporate state of wounded knee. Citizenship, passport, the rights of a nation. Because as Indians, and this we should be proud of this fact, that according to international law, we are the only man white in the world that has the right to belong to the civilized nations of the world. And we're gonna do it just that thing.
7: The effect of the tribal chiefs' decision to declare independence altered Ames' role slightly. Russell Means, National AIM director, explains their new position.
8: Now, the Oglala's leadership at of the American Indian Movement
9: formed the First Army of the independent Oglala Nation. Yeah.
8: <laughs> we have already dispatched three emissaries, three
9: ambassadors to the United
8: Nations. They are now en route to New York City to, Detroit, to present our Declaration of Independence we are asking that the United States government secede from the overall nation and get the hell out of here. From here further, if any spy from the United States of America is found within our borders, it will be dealt with as any spy in a time of war to be shot before a firing squad. We are asking all concerned countries of the world to come to the aid of the Oglala Independent Nation in terms of supplies, in terms of establishing treaty relationships and diplomatic relationships, and also to come to our military aid. The first country that we are asking to come to the aid of the Independent Oglala Nation is the Six Nations Iroquois Confederacy. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to become refugees of the Independent Oglala Nation, then I suggest you begin leaving now. But if you want to become a citizen, of the Independent Oglala Nation, you're welcome to remain here.
7: Shortly after the Declaration of Independence was announced, an AIM patrol vehicle was halted by FBI agents, and they attempted to make arrests. According to AIM members who were on the patrol, Federal agents fired into the rear window of the van, injuring one of the Indians. They returned the fire and wounded an FBI agent slightly, hitting him in the wrist. The patrol vehicle then drove off, and a helicopter was sent from Pine Ridge to take the agent to the hospital. After this incident, roadblocks were once again set up by federal marshals, and the government announced its strategy to starve the Indians out. The 14th day in Wounded Knee was spent in formation of the provisional government and in improving living conditions for the 400 people there. Up to this point, most people were sleeping in one of the three churches in Wounded Knee or in the trading post. As local residents ran out of heating fuel, it became necessary to house them in other buildings. Partitions were constructed dividing the Quonset-like building to accommodate about 50 people. Some older, unoccupied buildings around the village were also renovated to provide housing. The provisional government of the independent Oglala nation included members of the American Indian Movement along with the traditional chiefs and officers of the Pine Ridge Civil Rights Organization. The provisional government offered citizenship to people in Wounded Knee and altogether 406 women and men affirmed allegiance to the ION.
1: And you're listening to our exclusive special here on American Indian Airwaves, Memorial Remembrance and Resistance, the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 and the Wounded Knee Occupation of 1973. You're listening to American Indian Airwaves, Caudi Radio. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
9: You put me
1: song Wounded Knee by Floyd Red Crow Westerman off the album The Land Is Your Mother here on American Indian Airwaves Cowdy Radio. December 29th of every year marks the anniversary date of the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 whereby the United States 7th Cavalry murdered over 300 innocent indigenous men, women, and children. From February 27th of 1973 to May 8th of 1973, over 200 members of the American Indian Movement and their supporters responding to help from Lakota elders occupied Wounded Knee in a 71-day standoff that garnished international attention. And now back to our feature here on American Indian Airwaves, Memorial Remembrance and Resistance, the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890, and the Wounded Knee occupation of 1973. By now, there were Indians
7: representing 64 North American tribes and a few Chicanos and non-Indians. The provisional government census revealed 183 Oglalas, 189 other Indians, and 34 non-Indians. This is in contradiction to statements made by both the Justice Department and Richard Wilson, who claimed that most of the inhabitants of Wounded Knee were white radicals. Also during the 14th day, A grand jury was begun in Sioux Falls to investigate the events of Wounded Knee. Shortly afternoon on the 15th day, Assistant U.S. Attorney Harlington Wood arrived from Washington to set up negotiations once again. He was accompanied by the National Council of Churches representative John Adams. The two were met at the ION checkpoint by leaders of the provisional government and walked the quarter mile from the border to the AIM headquarters. The meeting with Wood lasted for nearly two hours, at which time Russell Means held a news conference to explain what happened.
8: They have no answers for us now through negotiations, because they don't know how to deal with our treaties. or well, if they massacred us, they still wouldn't have any answers. So the point now is whether we are going to deal with the original issue from the very beginning since we've been here, and that's with the Department of Interior. And that will be on neutral ground. So, with their agreement again, you know, that they're going to cease fire. See, last night they fired on us. We didn't re- return no fire. So there's no issue, no statements to the press stating Indians fired on us So we returned the a fire. The press isn't even aware that there was any firing going on last night. And so the world won't know it until when we fire back at them and the government comes out with a press release that we fired first so they return to fire. That's their game. As long as they can just fire on us with no response, they're gonna keep it quiet. You know, that's who we're dealing with. So, tomorrow or tonight, we're gonna begin to find out whether we're gonna be meeting with the high officials. This guy seems to be He's one of them guys that can really trick you, pat you on the back, at the same time you're getting his knife ready. The kind of negotiator we're dealing with now. The other ones we could, we knew where they were at. They were just out <laughs> and out pigs. This guy is a sneaky thing.
7: Banks restated the minimum demands for negotiation and clarified the role of the American Indian Movement in the Wounded Knee action.
8: We are sticking to our original position. One, that states we will not leave here until there is the unilateral firing of Wyman Babby as the area director. Point number one. Number two, we would still not leave here until there was also the firing of Stanley Lyman as the Pine Ridge Superintendent of the BIA. Third, that we would still still not leave here until one, two are taken care of and also until the government suspends its hostile activity against us through the financial supporting of its puppet government here on the Pine Ridge and also through the puppet regime of President (laughs) Wilson. We are sticking by to those requests that the Oglala Civil Rights Organization brought us in here. They have agreed that more study was needed following the the weekend that just passed. They've also understand more fully now our position that we're not leaving here until those demands are met. We will continue to stick by those demands until we are otherwise directed by either the new Oglala Sioux Nation, the independent state, or by the civil rights organization. During the meeting, it was suggested that if the high interior officials agreed to a meeting would we agree also to a neutral place to meet? They don't want to meet in the armed camp at Wounded Knee, and we don't care to meet in the armed camp at Pine Ridge. So the possibility exists of meeting in a neutral ground. We have suggested that the United Nations is the only neutral ground where we will meet with anybody else.
4: Thursday morning, many of the major news media were reporting an armed conflict inside Wounded Knee between AIM leaders and Oglala Sioux members of the Civil Rights Organization, led by Pedro Bissonette. To verify this story, we talked with Mark Lane, one of the lawyers who was allowed into Wounded Knee yesterday and was there at the time these events were supposed to have taken place. I was there yesterday, and incredibly enough, in the midst of this violent mutiny and riot I didn't notice a thing going on, except a very peaceful, calm community of men, women, and children. In fact, because we arrived, six lawyers, to meet with the leadership, a special meeting was arranged, and there were no members of the press at all in Wounded Knee because they're not allowed in anymore by the order of the Department of Justice. Therefore, it's a little bit difficult for me to understand where the information about what is taking place in there comes from, but we were at a meeting, It was opened by Russell Means, who the media informed us had fled and was probably in Cuba with with $6,000. Later, Dennis uh, Banks participated in the meeting. He was there, too, although we had been informed by the senator of the state that he had fled and he was out of the country. And I asked Means and Banks what they were doing there, since I heard they were in a different country, and Means smiled and said, We are in a different country. This is the Aguilera Sioux Nation. The meeting was chaired by Russell Means, who began by saying recently in the reorganization here the leadership has been assumed uh, after discussion by the Aguava Sioux Nation and by the representatives here of the Aguava Community Council. The chairman of that community council is Pedro Bissonnette, and Pedro Bissonnette then chaired the rest of the meeting. Russell means to a very large extent, Dennis Banks to a certain extent, part of camp, to a certain extent, or in Benincourt, to a certain extent, all played active roles in the meeting. The meeting was devoted to discussing the latest proposal by the Department of Justice for some kind of negotiation. And I just heard the local senator here
9: say that uh, because these people are out of power, there is now a chance for negotiation.
4: Fact is that Means was the first one to say it is important that there be negotiation.
10: For the past four days, despite a temporary restraining order demanding it, no food or medical supplies have gotten into Wounded Knee. Yesterday was the first day lawyers were permitted inside. Despite the fact that there are several hundred law enforcement officials, including the federal marshals, Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Bureau of Indian Affairs Police, and the National Guard in the Pine Ridge Wounded Knee area, they don't seem to be able to enforce the temporary restraining order against the 20 or so vigilantes manning Wilson's roadblocks. Today, the supporters of the people of Wounded Knee drew up a petition addressed to President Nixon informing him of the situation. It accused the Justice Department, the Department of the Interior, and the Bureau of Indian Affairs of disobeying the temporary restraining order by, quote, permitting and encouraging the vigilantes to erect the roadblocks, obstructing the entrance to Wounded Knee, unquote. It demanded that, quote, You enforce the laws and treaties of the United States equally and justly and direct the Justice Department to ensure that the people of Wounded Knee are permitted to receive food and medicine, end of quote. We also talked with Vernon Bellacourt, a national coordinator of the American Indian Movement.
11: And I attended a meeting yesterday with uh, Senators Abaresk and uh, uh, Marvin Franklin from the Bureau of Indian Affairs and, of course, with uh, various members of the... Ogallala Community Council uh, uh, and members of the Rapid City community and American Indian Movement members concerned with the issue at Wounded Knee. And we would like to point out uh, very emphatically that contrary to press reports that have continued to try to indicate that there was a split within the leadership of Wounded Knee, uh, this is uh, completely unfounded information uh, distorted by various people who are not uh, uh, in contact with the leadership within Knee, and uh, it is totally inaccurate. Uh, I happen to know I have that direct line and uh, communications into Mundini, and uh, and uh, everybody is together, and the the whole the people are, are very much standing together. Uh, we ha- have to be very concerned with the type of distortion that apparently have, has arisen out of the Justice Department and their efforts to cause Uh, Division, uh, not only within Wounded Knee, but division across the country of those people who have stood in full support of the Ogallala people and the American Indian Movement in the Wounded Knee situation. Uh, We find that today, uh, I have just come across the country myself, we find that we've got massive support from all people of conscience in this country. We've We've got the White Brothers, Black, Yellow, every color of mankind from every walk of life have stood with us on the issue of Wounded Knee. The Justice Department, in recognizing this strong solidarity, has made every effort to distort and to uh, try to indicate that there is a division and a breakdown within leadership within Wounded Knee. This is totally inaccurate, and we have to condemn the Justice Department and the United States government for its uh, efforts to try to bring about disunity amongst all the supporters of Wounded Knee. From Wounded Knee, South Dakota, this has been Unicorn News and the rest of the news.
3: So, that's the situation at the present time, as Marlon Brando refuses an Academy Award and is reported going to Wounded Knee, as the House Internal Security Committee begins hearings on Attica. The question hangs in the air like the calm before the storm. Will there be another massacre at Wounded Knee? There where the U.S. Cavalry murdered so many. There, where for the past month the rising tide of Native American resistance has caught the attention of this country and the world. There, where the wounded knee heals and begins to walk toward the self-determination of the Native peoples of this continent. I guess again, it was inspiring in a way to see how many people were actually willing to put their life on the line because we're not talking, carrying signs anymore. We're going up against APCs, all these law enforcement agencies. And so I think, for me, at some points there, when you're sitting in a bunker and stuff, you think, I wonder if I'm going to prison for the rest of my life, you know, what's going on here? But I kept remembering all the way from BIA, from Raven Yellow Thunder, that we had that pipe, and we had that sweat there, and Crow Dog, the chiefs that would come in and have a ceremony and stuff. I kind of felt, wow well, if we keep that way, we're going to be all right. And, uh, but the escalation also caused us to escalate our organizing. And we knew that it was serious business and we couldn't, we couldn't mess around. We had to be sincere, not only in protest, but in combat.
12: I just like to remember just the good times. Because there was times when we almost got killed there was. We could see bullets flying over us from wall to wall, even if we we're laying down. It was scary. And these marshals and FBI's—they didn't use small guns. They used heavy-powered rifles on us. I mean, it was kind of scary, you know. Then I thought of what they'd done to my ancestors and Chief Bigfoot. You know my. Father's mother is a descend of um, one of the survivors. So, uh, and her mother got killed there. That would be my great grandma. She got killed there in a ravine. So I understand, and maybe I think that's why the spirits came out and helped us.
13: firefight there was only Percy Casper and myself we were in, in, in the bunker and there was a sniper up there about uh, probably about 500 yards he, he was a ways, but he must have had a bead on us because I stuck my head up and then he almost hit me I, I it was so close it shot into the back into that wall because we were in the bunker we dug in so I dug out that bullet so I kept that and then so I put my uh, hat on this uh, on my rifle and I was going like that and, and Percy was sitting over there. He was—I I know he was scared, you know, because he was looking at him. He wouldn't move. Then I said, "Come on, Percy, let's get it on with them, man. Let's just say hoka hey right now." Now that's when I—I I took this yarn and I started tying up my bun. I said, "I'm going to tie up my bun. That means we're, we're going to go to war here." And he started. Well, he At first he was like, "Come on, Percy, you know, let's let's get it on with these guys." And finally, I just started laughing. It, it got uh, hilarious to, uh, afterwards because we were learning. We were experiencing and, and, and being in that tense moment like that where you're actually f- receiving intense gunfire and this guy is trying to kill you. <laughs> ¶¶
5: It was a community, we were building a nation, you know, it was, uh, it was our own independent of nation, and there was uh, births, deaths, you know, there was marriages. In fact, a good friend of mine, Anna Mae, she was uh, married and wounded, you know, so hell, it was an ongoing struggle, but at the same time, life still carried on.
3: You know, there's uh, another part that a lot of people take for granted. You think, well, the women's going to go in and start cooking, which some did, there's no question. But a lot of the women were as angry as the men. So the thing that amazed me is that there was probably as many women in the bunkers as there were men in many cases. And I remember, like, Loreline, Madonna and them, trying to run the hospital because we did have some injuries and wounded. And I remember Lorelei, my ex-sister-in-law, she—there was fire, I think it might have been when uh, Webb and them were wounded, and she crawled out. She had her pack with her to care for them when she got there, and she was crawling. And the feds opened up, man. So we're hollering on the radio that it's a woman and she's trying to help the wounded. You know, stop your fire, check the fire.
10: One or two people in Little Big Horn Bunker have been hit. It's impossible to get a medic out because the firing is so heavy.
2: The uh, wounded knee apparently has a wounded party stated to us that they're gonna send medics in and the man that went to
4: that bunker was carrying a rifle. Uh, we will not recognize a medic carrying a rifle. The message for wounded need is supposedly a Red Cross worker by the bunker that's been pinned down for the last hour. Uh, they don't know if she's been hit or not, and they'd like to get her out of there. Over. I right, tell them that they've got 10 minutes from, uh, one person with a white flag, and no she weapons to they
10: have weapons we don't have fire. She is a medic, she is unarmed, she only has medical supplies with her. Please relieve sniper fire that is aimed upon her.
11: You have ten minutes with one person with a white flag to move that person out of that area. If there's any weapons or any fire, we will fire upon them,
4: over. Okay, Roger, we're getting a white right flag ready now. There'll be one person going down there. We'll run down and check it out. There'll be no weapons taken down there and uh, I'm trying to tell all our people around here not to open fire, but some of the people are out in fields and I can't guarantee that you, you know that somebody on the other side of the perimeter might not get pinned down open fire over there, but there won't be any fire from this direction.
8: Well, be any okay, fire. If there's any fire, they're going to open up fire. Roger. I'm telling our people here. Little Bighorn, Little Bighorn, and Spanata, and Hawkeye, and Little California, hold your fire. Do not open your fire. We have ten minutes with one man under white flag. If anyone opens fire, this man's dead.
3: Here she, she, they just kept shooting, so she was just laying down and then finally it stopped. There was no movement, man. Everybody's scared, man. She's hit. So we kind of crawl out there and here she was asleep. She went to sleep under all that heavy fire because they had been up for, you know, a number of days and nothing else she could do, I guess, but it was kind of an amazing thing to See, woman who you'd want to say should be in the kitchen or whatever, but she's under fire and she goes to sleep. And uh, so everybody teased her about that. She could sleep through wounded knee, you know. And also in the negotiations, we had people like Agnes and Gladys, uh, Lou Bean and them, uh, Ellen Camp, and some of the other older women would take part in negotiations. So the women were at every level of the whole operation. The end was kind of difficult. A lot of the leadership, again, was outside, either in court or, like I did, trying to raise money. So like, I'm not sure if Dennis was there, he wasn't there, Russ, uh, Clyde and him was long gone. So there was basically Carter camp, Crow Dog, and of course all the, mostly the Oglalas that were still inside, because they lived there. They didn't have nowhere to go, you know. So Fool's Crow came, and he gave a talk. This is before everybody left the night before. Well, first, let me back up a little further. We went up to the hilltop up there with Ken Frizzell and some of the federal negotiators. And uh, they said, well, it's getting to be drawn out. We've had casualties. You guys buried Buddy Lamont. And uh, so we didn't agree to anything at that point. We just said, we're going to talk to the chiefs so they let them all come in again, Ramon, of La, the lawyers, counselor, and then the chiefs came in, and Fools Girl gave this talk that he said, you have won, because people know about our treaty, because people know that the Indians are still here. And so what we came here for was to let America, the world, know that we're still alive. So he said, we just buried this young man. He said, I don't want to bury no more people. He said, so it's time. He said, you guys, if you're from other places, you go back home and work for your people. We appreciate you coming.
5: We wanted to bring an end to it. We wanted to change that. And so people sacrificed their freedom. People sacrificed their jobs and their families and their personal livelihoods to, to make a Concerted change uh, for our community. Concerted change for our, our families, uh, so that our, our, that more importantly, our kids could, could, uh, will understand and be proud of who they are. You know, we'll be able to say I'm proud to be Lakota. We'll be able to say I'm culturally distinct and culturally different. You know, and I have a right to be, to be as such. Uh, these are the things that we were shooting for.
0: I'm so glad that I was part of history, modern-day history, modern-day Indian history. I was a part of it, not just being my, because Teosha and my family, you know, are part of that. They'll go down in history along with me, and hopefully that'll influence the, the generations to come. You know that it wasn't just an incident. You know, the Red Power movement changed our history for us. So sometimes you got to do it. you got to get out there and just put it on the line. And I did it. I was part of history.
3: And so we always go back to that wounded knee experience because it prepared us for struggles such as in Guatemala, in South America, even in the environment because that's where we learned about our relationship with Mother Earth was through the ceremonies and through the teachings of the, Indian the chiefs and elders that Congressman,
6: now he don't know much about the issue. So he picks up the phone and he asks advice of the senators out in Indian country. Darlins are the energy companies who are ripping off what's left of the reservations. Uh, I learned a safety rule. I don't know who to think. Don't stand between the reservations and the corporate banks. They send in federal.
1: And that concludes our special here on American Indian Airwaves, County Radio, Memorial Remembrance and Resistance, the Wounded Knee Massacre of 1890 and the Wounded Knee Occupation of 1973. A special thank you to our musical guests for the hour Aragon Star, Koopa Aina, Floyd Red Crow Westerman, the band Black Fire, and Buffy St. Marie. American Indian Airwaves County Radio is mixed and mastered in the studio of Burnt Swamp Studio in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time.